0: Welcome to Fuck Theory. I'm Joel. And I'm Mike. And um, we got a really special episode for you today. Um, we actually recorded it back in August, and we're just finally yeah. getting it out now as the fifth so, episode.
1: It was, a, it was a good, good, uh, good idea to kind of re-record this intro as many things have changed: locations, um, faces, uh, <laughs> a lot, a lot. As Divya yeah, hair, I, I, I pulled my beard so hard that my hair went right back to my head and now i look like this and so we thought it was a good uh, good idea to just kind of update everybody on the situation because it definitely looks like we're stepping back into the past a little bit but yep. this episode is probably one of the best pieces of content i've ever been a part of in my entire music career seriously it's a uh, pretty
0: great it's really exciting and i mean we both listened back to it over the past week we're going back and going getting highlights and whatnot and we'll be posting more of those but of course if you're listening to this you'll get to hear the whole thing um mm-hmm. but man yeah it's uh i really hope that um we can have awesome on again in the future sometime because this was just so much fun that uh you know it's we got to do it again sometime so um yeah that being said um enjoy an episode we recorded back in august and um hopefully it's not too out of date and hopefully you enjoy <laughs> it
1: cheers all right welcome to the podcast episode 7 minus 1 <laughs> Uh just for uh, everyone watching now this is actually round 2 we had some wonderful technical issues uh, where the entire first uh, attempt at this interview was uh let's just say destroyed <laughs> let's just say it was just um, me
0: talking for an hour <laughs> <laughs>
1: But we're back and we're super happy because we have got the amazing
2: A-U-5. <laughs> <laughs> All sick.
1: right. Yeah, bro, Austin, thank you so much for being such a good sport and coming back. It was yeah. uh, it was a pleasure having you on last time. Unfortunately, no one will ever get to hear the the uh, the depths of the conversation that we ended up at. So Yeah, uh, yeah, no we'll, problem we'll... dude. I mean, it's it's great just
3: chilling and hanging out with you guys and that's kind of what we were doing last time, just going deep and in... know the stuff
1: that we would usually talk about anyway yeah exactly just uh just straight down the rabbit hole so uh uh, today why don't why don't we uh why don't we try things differently and instead of starting at the surface and going down the rabbit hole why don't we just start at the bottom and come up so what is the meaning of life (laughs) 42 (laughs) 42 (laughs) Okay, maybe we won't start that far down. <laughs> That's a bit down. deep, man.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's hard to be lighthearted from uh, starting from the bottom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair, fair. It gets it gets a little bit too intense too quick. Okay, well, on that note, then, um, is there any uh, there? There was a question we didn't get to last time, Joel. You wanted to ask something, but we we just kind of tangented for for hours. What were What were you going to ask before?
0: I actually can't remember at all. Let me just try to think here. (laughs) We're we're super prepared. Was it, I mean, we talked a bit about live sets, right? Oh, I think you
1: wanted to, I think you were wondering, oh, right. It was, um, when you're dealing with sound design and writing a project, how do you maintain focus on continuing to actually add to the song and move forward without just... Spending like two and a half hours on like one beat of music, yeah. So that's yeah, it's that's a tough
3: that's a tough loop to to get out of when you're when you're in it, um, and I think it's kind of hard to recognize when that starts to happen. But for me, I would say something that I do is like I'll start to feel when something is getting to where it needs to be, and I'll impulsively just jump, like I'll just jump to the beginning of the song and just try to kind of reset my mm. microscopic or yeah uh, microscopic focus on vantage point solution. yeah 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 and because that's I mean that was something that that has plagued I, I mean I think that plagues a lot of uh, producers but for me personally that's just something that I've wasted so much time going so in on and then the next day this has happened so many times where it's like the next day I'll listen to it I'm like that did, whatever I was spending like three hours on, wasn't even a good decision in the first place. So, yeah. yeah. I think uh, <laughs> it wasn't I the saw, right
0: move. I saw a, a meme like that where it's uh, probably a producer meme or whatever, and it shows like what I made the night before, and it's like an amazing track, like a flume track or whatever. And then it's like versus listening to it the next morning, and it's just like the worst. Like, just I don't know if you've ever heard the the reconstruction of the um the what's the the carnage beat? That's really bad. <laughs> it's like <laughs> oh, I think no. they played basically that, and I was like, oh yeah, I've definitely done that a lot. So, yeah,
2: I, yeah.
3: It's it's. It's interesting how that happens because I think like I think there's noise fatigue, which is just like sonically we hear thing we start to perceive frequencies differently. I guess yeah. like our ears kind of recalibrate our uh the spectrum in a way. Uh and mm-hmm. but then there's also the more conceptual aspect of that. And I'm not really sure what, what you would call that, but it's like like idea fatigue i guess it's like you're so kind of tunnel visioned that you don't really have a sense of
0: what the what what your what the big picture
3: is anymore
0: definitely yeah Mm -hmm. well i think it has to do with your perspective right because you're basically like it's almost like you're using a microscope to paint Um, yeah and then you're kind of stuck with that microscope and you you can't see anything else or binoculars for example and Mm -hmm. uh and until you're able to basically pull yourself back, like you're really just kind of zoomed down on that specific thing. And I mean, that's basically sound design in a nutshell, right? You're working on something that most people will probably not know anything about what you're doing, but at the end, it's adding a huge amount of detail. Right, mm-hmm. right. And I mean, even,
3: like, I think uh, people who, who aren't, I guess, who aren't technical producers, just like casual listeners, sound design is a very interesting thing to listen to For the non-technical person too, but I don't think that it is going to. I don't think that it is really nearly as impactful as it is for other producers, particularly of that style, to listen to. Yeah, and Mm. then we're kind of getting to like, like uh, we're we're talking about like making music for the audience of just other people like us who are technical Mm. producers. Yeah. Yeah, and. And then it's like, why is, why, why aren't we recognized as these, why aren't we recognized as great artists who put so much hard work into like innovate this sound and, and everything. And it's like, ultimately you're, you're still not taking a far, far enough, uh, step back to realize like, as a whole song, you're focusing on the wrong thing. I mean, if your goal is to make a good song, yeah, it's not all sound design. Definitely.
1: Yeah, actually, it's funny because uh, someone sent me this video yesterday and I sent it to Joel as well. I, I sent it to everybody. I should send it to you too. It's like the most annoying drummer in the world. And it's like a video of this guy playing along to like uh, it's, it's with a band. It's like a church choir or something like that. And it's like literally the worst case scenario because this is a guy who has some technical ability on the drums but absolutely zero musical awareness for what's going on. So the entire time he's playing, he's just sort of like fill, 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 like drum fill, like look at what I can do, look at what I can do. And it's like no actual musical awareness for like whether or not he's adding to the song as a whole, but rather just trying to demonstrate how much skill he has as an individual. (laughs) And it's like, it doesn't matter how good you are. And so back to sound design, it doesn't matter how good this one sound is, if it's not actually adding to some musical concept as a whole, that's going to be like digestible by more than just people who are super into sound design.
3: Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, completely great. It's kind of like, I mean, I don't know if you've
1: ever tried, like, drawing from life before. <laughs> um, Dra- oh, drawing! I thought you meant like drawing, like like drawing how I drew the face on that plant. Like, <laughs> oh, like, you mean no, like, that's... pulling pulling inspiration?
3: No, no, no. I'm I'm referring to like literally like drawing. with a pencil and paper. Oh, drawing! Like... You are
1: me. Yeah. Like trying to realistically draw like still life or
3: someone's face or something. Um, and if you haven't ever really done that before or haven't, you haven't had any guidance with that. Uh, I mean, I've, I've, I've done that in the past where it's like, I'm trying to get as realistic and detailed as possible. And it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm doing these details really well, but then I'm looking at the thing as a whole and I'm just like the perspective is off. It doesn't look real at all. There's so much detail but it's like it's the same kind of thing it's like okay that's really cool that you can do really microscopic gradients and shading but it's like as a whole the whole thing is either flat or just makes no sense perspective wise and that's where the song parallel comes in it's like it's not a good comp- compositionally is it just mm-hmm. it, it doesn't matter if if it doesn't matter if if you can if you're really skilled with the actual act of you know, creating details and stuff, I guess mm-hmm. that would be the the parallel to sound design. Yeah. If it just, if it doesn't make sense as a whole.
0: Well, I think, yeah, go ahead. I think that like ties into just like the idea of like, okay, what is a song and what is it doing? Because that's really like when you step back, that's kind of the question that I ask myself. It's like, okay, what am I doing with this song? And, you know, in a lot of cases, a guitar and a singer, like a singer songwriter guitar can actually get much closer to uh, the purpose of that song because it's so simple and so easy for them to write, you know, many, many songs and also their vocal range. Like everybody knows how to sing, like, you know, how to emote using that. We don't have to learn how to do that from a sound design standpoint. I mean, obviously you need to learn how to sing a little bit, but somebody that's kind of coming from the heart, it's, you know, for us, it's like, okay, how do we make this square wave represent this (laughs) emotional feeling when you sing and play the guitar? Like you can kind of just, pour your heart out and it just kind of comes across in the song. Whereas when we're doing, it, it's like, okay, how do we do that? But with the math of what we're trying to figure out here. <laughs> yeah, it's
3: kind of, it's kind of backwards in a sense because we're so we have these technological advancements or at, at our disposal, uh, we can pretty much, we have the power to pretty much make any sound. I mean, we could synthesize a human voice if we wanted to, but then it's yeah, like, which is well, how crazy. can we capture? Yeah. How can we capture the. The uh, imperfections, which actually make it feel alive, and yep.
1: that's that's a, that's the whole. Yeah, whole and other I mean, thing. like it's like when you see the humanize button on whatever plugin, you know, and it's like, <laughs> it's not, it's just making it kind of more wrong. It's not actually really humanizing it. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. you, you know what I mean. It's kind of weird. It's almost like because, like, yeah, go ahead. Like I was gonna say because, like, like when a drummer is like playing, you know, not perfectly in time. But there are like sm- like micro shifts between the placement of like hi hats or snare drum or whatever. Those all come like in real time while they're playing because they're feeling the music that way, and it ends up working. But then if you ask like a, a computer to micro shift those things, it's just doing it by like ra- at random. <laughs> it's not doing <laughs> it for a specific purpose, so it doesn't yeah. really translate into emotion very well. Yeah, it's 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 i think human eyes is just such a like a
3: uh, it's like an oxymoron because it's Definitely. like you're gonna you're gonna have a computer do more computer things to try to make it sound <laughs> less computer yeah
0: <laughs> yeah, that's hilarious yeah it's the same oh, with the cgi man. and it, this is all basically relies into um uncanny valley is kind of how i see yeah. it essentially you know when you look at a cgi that's amazing but then their their eye doesn't like smile when they're twit, like when they're actually smiling, and the eyes stay like dead. You're like, oh my god, there's something very wrong with this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's
1: it's weird how that's uh, so specific to human faces as well, yeah. because uh, yeah, I think we did bring this up last time. I, I can't remember how we got there, but um, we were talking about how uh, you know everything can look fine when it's like cartoony and animated or whatever, but it almost looks better and more realistic when it is realistic it looks more appealing to watch when it's actually more on the cartoony side because when you try to really replicate uh you know a person's face or something and you're trying to make it more realistic it ends up just uh, crossing that line where now you're asking me to believe that it's realistic and yet it's still obvious that it's not yeah instead of the i guess it's kind of like when you see something that's that's stylized
3: automatically, mm-hmm. our brains don't have to try to mm-hmm. see that as something real. We we've, I think it's something that we can and I don't know. Maybe it's just uh, cultural conditioning because we've seen cartoons growing up or something mm-hmm. and we've seen art. Um, but we don't have to. We don't have to. It's it's almost e- it's like it's easier to know when something is wrong than when something is, is right, I guess, uh, Mm -hmm. speaking, speaking generally, it's like when it's slightly wrong, it's way harder to determine, or in this case, if it's realistic, but like slightly off, there's so much, I feel like there's so much background processing going on in our brains that it's focusing on trying to make it either real or trying to tear like uh trying to like disintegrate it into it being something artificial that it's like we can't actually engage with what it is is what it's what is what it's expressing and we're too focused on this the superficial we can't get past that first layer determining whether or not that it's like a real thing Uh, whereas with a cartoon then it's like you know automatically it's like okay cool we immediately accept it it and can and can see past it and can can feel it more as as a it, it, it's it's a, a more compelling thing because
0: we're already beyond the fact that we don't have to determine what's real really yeah. yeah 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 well and i think that um it's yeah it's very the, the idea that your brain just doesn't, sh- there's a part of your brain that doesn't shut off when when you're in that situation. So depending upon basically the level of disbelief. So when it's a full cartoon, you basically have to suspend all disbelief. It's not reality. It's 2D and you know the, the physics don't match up. They're, you know, it's, but you basically you get to that point. It's kind of the lowest common denominator, right? You're, you're essentially suspend disbelief at a certain point. And, and that kind of depends upon the level of detail or the level of depth that that medium or like the artist has chosen for it, right? And so when, when it comes to sound design i'm not really thinking about the like the timbre of the guitar that much or like you know the mix of a instrumental guitar piece right but when i'm listening to drum and bass i'm listening to like the minutest frequencies if the snare is like slightly off not fitting in the mix i'm immediately noticing that so i think it's almost like your brain activates different it goes deeper and deeper depending upon how much detail is available to it
3: yeah that's a good point I, i i agree with that i think uh like lo-fi music. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I don't listen to it a lot, but from what I heard it, it almost seems like, okay, we're already like, we don't even have to, uh, like as a producer, I think it's a lot of times easier to hear the song because there's less detail or because yeah. everything is already just like obviously not perfect and pristine. Yeah. And I, I think that is part of what people enjoy about that aesthetic. Uh, perhaps it's like, yeah, it sounds well, it, old and it, it's like nostalgic perhaps, but also mm-hmm. there's it, it kind of mandates that you don't
1: focus on what's off. Yeah. about It It deletes that entire perception from your brain that says, oh, this isn't mixed perfectly because it's like instantly, like if someone was to complain about that with lo fi, it's like, dude, that's the point, like, right? That's what it's supposed to sound like. And it's almost like, the more real something is trying to be, the more like it has to be perfect in order for us to accept it. And I think like, um, I can't remember, I had one example I was going to relate it to, but one I remember is like, if you think about the way that something like uh, an artist would paint a a person. Oh, dear God, my alarm. Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) That's
0: my alarm. I've known you for three years and you've always had that and it scares me every time it goes off. (laughs) Just some guy screaming.
1: I swear I put this on silent (laughs) alarms don't care anyway um, so like if you look at like when an uh, like a a realist artist paints a person it's like if it's on point it's good and if they do a bad job you're like okay that doesn't look good even if they're much more skilled than I am at art but then you look at like someone like Picasso or something who would paint a person it's like doesn't even look like a person at all but you're like this is better than the almost perfect version of like a real person and it's like Um, comparing that back to, uh, to, to music, it's like, if you are trying to use a piano in your song, it's a hundred times more difficult to make a piano sound good when you're using soft synths, because it always kind of has that MIDI sound to it. Whereas (laughs) Mm -hmm. if you take that piano sound and you just decimate it to the point where you're like, this isn't even a piano anymore it's like this sounds better to me because it's yeah. not trying to be something that it can never actually be.
3: Yeah, it's way easier to accept it because, mm-hmm. exactly, it's not trying to be something. It's not trying to be... We're, we're, you're not trying to trick the listener. It's just like, yeah, mm-hmm. here's here's just something crazy that doesn't exist in real life, and that's the point.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Sweet. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I guess
3: uh, kind of uh, kind of related, but... um. I finished up mixing uh, for the past like month and a half. I, w- I was mixing a rock album, uh, mm. by, uh, fr- my friend uh, Kenny Ray, super good. Um, and th- this is something that I haven't done. I haven't worked with like real live recorded instruments in, I guess, since high school, which is like, so like ten, <laughs> t- like nine years ago already. <laughs> Damn. Damn.
1: Um, yeah,
3: I'm coming. That's same. Yeah, I'm coming up on that time. Yep. <laughs> Nutty. <laughs> anyway. It's uh so yeah what I what I realized like my first approach to it is like all right I'm gonna make this sound super pristine and awesome like way better than what's uh you know these these rock these rock producers ain't got shit on me and that isn't that was not that was definitely not the case because <laughs> really quickly I learned that if I'm appro- approaching real instruments like approaching s- mixing synthesizers and Heavily processed samples, um, it does not lend itself well to that kind of music. It actually feels, um, it feels less powerful the more you try to maximize it. Is what I found. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the plugins that I would go, a lot of my go-to plugins um, for like mixing electronic music just does not trans. It does not respond to that kind of audio in the same way at all. And it was. Really tough for I guess like the first week, and I was like, I don't know if I'm actually gonna be able to make this sound good. But uh, that's I pretty much just just uh, just did rough mixes of each one, and then about halfway through the album is like when it clicked. I was like, okay, I need to treat everything like I am letting what is already there ring out the best of what it has, instead of mm-hmm. trying to mold it into something that it's not. Which is a lot. Which is I think what we're so used to doing in electronic music, we're trying to sculpt stuff. And in this case, it's more like, it's more like polishing and, and detailing than it is, uh, sculpting. It's like, it doesn't make sense to replace all of these drums with like, with the same sample. Yeah. With (laughs) triggers and samples. It doesn't sound as good that way. I mean, there, there Mm. are a couple where I would like have a very soft background layer just for like fullness, uh, But yeah, I mean, like with with, um, what was it? Like um, yeah, particularly mixing drums is is a total. Yeah, I was gonna say exactly that. That's funny. Like yeah, the transient responsive drums. The transient responsive drums. It's like it's not actually favorable to limit everything like we would Mm -hmm. usually do with heavy electronic music. It actually sounds bigger. Um, So a lot of this, a lot of the processes that I was doing were uh, pretty much just like simple saturation um just basic eq not even a lot of dynamic or multi-band uh type effects and i found and a little bit of soothe because i think soothe is one of those special plugins that i need that plugin i can't afford it though (laughs) works well on everything I, yeah. I use it on
1: everything, dude. It's a worthy investment. But uh, dude, there was literally one just a tr- tangent for two seconds. There yeah. was literally one night that I was working on uh, some uh, some vocals for a remix I was doing, and I literally was like, "Dude, I need to just call Austin and <laughs> just ask if he can run this through Sooth for two seconds and send it back." <laughs> I just needed to get rid of these S's. It was so bad. I, uh, wait. Anyway, did you do that? And I forgot. N-
3: no, I, didn't did, I never
1: it. did ask you. I figured it out. It was just. It was a nightmare. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> okay, cool. I mean, if you if you really need me to do that, like, hey. Okay, uh, I'll let, let you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty funny. Yeah,
3: so. yeah it, in the end, a lot of it was just, like, doing the maximization stuff in the master yeah. and, like, not even pushing it hard. Like, I'm talking minus 10 luffs. Anything louder than that actually mm-hmm. doesn't makes it sound smaller. And I was going to mm-hmm. wake up call <laughs> it.
1: Like, yeah, that's super interesting. And actually, like, because I've... uh I mean, I, I came up listening to a lot of metal and rock music and stuff like that. And then switching from that into EDM when I did, it was so weird because, I mean, they're, they're completely different animals when you're approaching the mix on them, really. And, like, the way that they they mix, like, bass and, and kick drums, like, honestly, like, if you've... Uh, what was there is this one song i can't remember what it is um it'll come to me uh, no it's not going to come to me there's a, oh yeah a wonder wall it's Wonderwall. Mm. um there's a i think a rick beato video where he shows us the stems of those songs and when he soloed the bass stem i was like what It had zero bass in it. It was the weakest stem ever. It just sounded like a bunch of distortion recorded from a microphone that was in a different room. I was like, this is what the bass sounds like. But when you listen to the song as a whole, the whole thing sounds amazing. And so actually this kind of comes back to the original question, which is about the focusing on the song versus focusing on the sound. But when you're mixing like a bunch of acoustic instruments in a rock setting, you really do have to like almost mix things together like you said from almost a master standpoint. Yeah. Um especially with drums and I learned this um way later than I should have because I you know I'm a drummer so I naturally spent all my money on mics and tried to mic up my kit and stuff and then I'm like EQing each individual sound heavily to make it sound as good as I can. But long before I knew anything about non-linear EQ and and how any of that stuff works, and little did I know, when you have like five microphones in a room and then you EQ each one of them individually, you're throwing them all out of phase. And so yeah. you listen to the drum set as a whole, and it just sounds like trash. And you're like, "What's going on?"
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. That that was another thing that was
3: uh, that was really hard for me to to like get over the hump of mentally when it, when I it was mixing the multi-track drums, and I was like, "There's." I was at first I was like this, this engineer, this, uh, yeah, the studio engineer didn't know what he was doing. Everything is bleeding into everything else. And I'm just like, wait, how did we, how does anyone like how back in the seventies before we had triggers or whatever, how did we get it to sound that good and clean? And I realized it's like, you got to treat it as a whole, yep. like you can't do extreme stuff on each individual thing. Maybe a little bit of gating here and there, but like, mm-hmm. even with the gate, like, with the snare hitting, and then the, the the hi-hat will come through the snare mic just for, like, a block, mm. and then it's like, that sounds weird. It's like, yeah, you
0: really got to treat the whole thing as a whole. I, so. uh, I'm just picturing, like, a drummer going into the vocal booth one drum at a time and playing the part.
1: <laughs> I was imagining drum. that, too. <laughs> I was thinking
0: the same. He just like playing the snare, like he's like trying to do the fills. Here's the tom part, yeah.
1: dude. The toms would be the worst. You're just waiting for the fill to come. You're like, okay, I gotta hit this whack tom on beat three and of bar 57. You got a sheet music for it on a stand. It's <laughs> like one quarter note. Yeah, Uh-oh.
3: just once in the whole song. Yeah, yeah it'd be very. Oh
1: tough. my god.
3: Oh god. That had to be have been done before, though. Oh, I'm sure they so tried. That it. couldn't yeah. have been the first time we.
1: That oh yeah. Of. yeah. No way. I mean, of course. Yeah. And I mean, I'm actually even coming back into uh, electronic music, like, well, I mean, with toms, there's, I mean, there's synthesized toms, but really who, who goes for that sound these days? Like, especially like with what we do, we are kind of trying to emulate like the, the classic, like overproduced metal music tom sound where it's got that perfect like stick attack with a little bit of definition and stuff Mm -hmm. and so i went through like a bunch of my tom samples i grabbed all the ones that were good threw them in a drum rack and i spent like a whole day and i eq'd each one individually and i was like boosting exactly the right frequency for each sample and i'm like this is where this sample sounds the best and i forgot that When you want something to sound good in a song, you have to listen to it in the context of the song. It's not going to actually sound good with this EQ on it for every single song. So later, I'm like, man, this is perfect. I got the best tom rack in the world. No one's ever going to have a better tom sound than me because they sound great on their own. And then I threw it onto a song, and I go to write a (laughs) drum fill, and I was like, this is the worst thing I've ever heard. It sounds so bad. It didn't work at all. And I had to undo all that work I did. Oh no. Like, hey, unless you want to
3: make a song that's just Tom's. Maybe. Yeah. The Tom Tom song. <laughs> <laughs> Drop the Tom's. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing, like going through splice samples, for instance, like a lot of this stuff is, may sound it's like that doesn't that sounds weak or that sounds like way too harsh or bright or like muddy. Uh, because it's all soloed and it's like, you kind of have to experiment, put it in your song to actually see if it works. Like, um, I, it's funny with, with Tom's, I got a, a pack from a friend of, um, like eighties synthesized Tom's like from analog, I guess like analog. Oh synthesized yeah. Toms. I know the yeah. ones. And I, I heard them and I, I just was like, I don't think I'm ever yeah. going to find a use for this. But then I was making a song that was kind of like a mid y synth-wavy song, and mm-hmm. I threw them in there, and I was like, "Cause I had other times, I had like real toms that I tried to, that I was using like multi-band compression and transient shaping on, Try to like make them sound big with reverb, and they just weren't cutting it. And so I swapped them out with the the new ones, and I was like, "This is exactly what it needs. It sound I mean, style stylistically, I guess you know, there's a there's a correlation there, but." just the mix wise they they're not super snappy which is what i'm always compelled to make drums like right. let's get that transient just clipping yeah. plus whatever <laughs> db uh no they're they're really soft and dynamic sounding toms that have like a lot of noise and like nice like nice mid range yeah. and mm-hmm. it's it was perfect it sounded so lush and full it was exactly what i wanted and i didn't even realize it because of context
1: yeah i think i think i noticed um I noticed that with with Tom specifically when I uh, went and saw Porter live doing his Worlds tour and he uses a lot of those 80s like those kind of like drum sounds right and they're like when you listen to them on their own you're like this is messy this will never it'll be hard to mix this into a song but it's like be again relating right back to what we were talking about before not something not trying to be something that it can never be because that sound is so specific when you do hear it it just kind of blends into the mix but it cuts through in a way sonically that you still hear it and it totally gets the job done really nicely without having to do a bunch of extra work trying to sculpt it into the song Mm -hmm. so it's weird and another sound specifically that really um i've always uh I don't know what the word is, uh, it always makes me think, is is the 808 Cowbell. Yeah. The, oh. You know, the one that? Yeah, yeah. that's in so many songs, and it works every time. It doesn't matter what song it is. If you put that sample sample into a song, it just kind of sounds good. Yeah. Who the hell came up with that <laughs> and sound? And it's tonal too, which is like it's... <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's such an interesting
3: sound. That's something that I was thinking about a while ago, too. Because these sounds, like the 808 and 909 kits. These were from mm-hmm. like late eighties, early nineties. Right. Yeah. How Man did they know, know this guy? That... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Got that. Whoever designed those. And that's, I guess it's a, that's a, it's a, it's a weird paradigm. It's like, did the music come like how influential was the sound of the music or were the sound designers really just that forward thinking that like, this is going right? to work in the context of a lot of different kind of music
0: there's a there's actually a i watched basically a documentary specifically on the 808 um and kind of the development of it and um, i'm not i can't quote it perfectly because it's been a really long time but i'd highly recommend everybody look into it because it's amazing basically what was happening there but it was basically developed in japan like completely Mm -hmm. separately from from most artists basically and then there was a few models that were basically sent out it wasn't crazy popular when it first came out and basically yeah, it was developed in, I believe it was developed in Japan. And then people started to pick it up. So I'm pretty sure they were just incredibly ahead of their time and basically, cause I don't think that sound really mm-hmm. was at all in use prior to the 808 coming out and Roland basically coming out with those sounds. If I remember right. correctly, yeah, they actually basically pushed like a lot of like, you know, the 808 bass and all that kind of stuff. I think it might be on Netflix, so if I can find it. Hmm.
3: I'd like really? to check that out. Yeah. That seems pretty yeah, risky 100%. too. Cause it's like those, there's nothing pr- prior yeah. that coming out that sounds anything like it well, so th- it's like how could they even who would have thought that that actually sounds musical or could be used musically
0: well and a lot of the reasons why it became out the way it did is actually just Purely the limitations of the technology, like the uh, like the mm. oscillators that were actually, because I don't think it's a sampler, like it's actually generating most of the sounds, right? So the 808 mm-hmm. you know yeah. Is, so yes. those sounds are they basically were like, okay, well we we have these transistors and these resistors, let's see how we can make this make sounds, and that's basically what happened. And I, I may be wrong on this, but I'm quite sure that essentially they just it was just instead of going from you know analog samples, they're like let's do it all digitally, and essentially wow. they you know the hi hats just white noise with you know an envelope or a filter on it, and mm-hmm. yeah.
3: Actually, I think I think that like the crash symbols or the ride symbols in the eight hundred eight is um, is all FM. From, yeah, from
1: what I recall. Yeah, that makes sense. Which is because they sense. have they have tonality to them. Yeah, but a very dissonant tonality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it's like yeah, it don't yeah. You're right. It totally sounds like FM. I've made that sound by accident. It's definitely not what I'm looking for when
3: I'm when I come across that sound. That's the thing. It's like who woulda thought to put that in a thing that you sell for hundreds of dollars for musicians it's like the last thing that i would have thought of
0: here we are 30 years later and it's worth like 30 or forty thousand dollars for one that's like (laughs) barely functional anymore (laughs) and a
3: whole like a huge chunk of different scenes of music all took it are are using it Yeah. yeah and it still sounds great it's like it's like okay i need a crash symbol why doesn't my crash symbol sound like you know, clean and, and bright enough. Uh, if I'm using like an acoustic crash, I'm like, yeah. it just doesn't mm-hmm. cut through like everything else. Just layer
1: just the 808 crash. Not, Don't even filter and it. And or... it sounds
3: so good. <laughs> and it sounds perfect. And that's it.
1: That's the thing. It, it's so weird. Because again, going back to the other thing, like if you're soloing that sample, if you listen to that that 808 sample, um, the crash on its own, you're like, this is painful, this is not good for my ears at all, like, what do I- I would never want to hear that. But then you hear it in the context, and it like, it sits in this one register that nothing else is in, and then when you mix it at the right volume, it just- it, it cuts through the mix without taking away anything else, and then just sits so nicely, like, on its own. It's yeah. so weird. Yeah. It, it's very weird. Uh, and also- But like- Go ahead. Oh, uh, yeah, no, no, you- you, you go. You, 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 you're the can guest. I, I, <laughs> I was, I was just gonna say.
3: And how did the 909 hi hat become such? Well, okay, a that's funny.
1: That's exactly what yeah. I was gonna say. Yeah. Okay. So um, with the 808 things, it's like what I can imagine. If like I haven't seen the documentary, so this is completely speculation. But I have to imagine that they're like, we want to create a product that doesn't require you know any drums. And again, limitations of the technology, it would be eas- easier to just do this all digital than it would be to try and make a machine that can use samples, because then it's, the hardware is going to cost significantly more money to have that much storage on it, because they probably, you know, hard drives weren't exactly great back then. Mm-hmm. So it leads me to wonder, again, with your other question, is are those sounds so, um, you know, are they so good because they were the first? And then when we started to try out those drums, we started using them and then we mixed everything around those drums because we were limited to what the machine could do Mm -hmm. and so like a bunch of music started coming out with all those sounds in it and then you know maybe at first it was weird but after a certain amount of time generations later we've heard it so many times that now here in our future our well our present it's like those sounds are such a staple of music that we naturally are accustomed to like them because we've heard them a million times and it's got and a sort of our familiarity to it. Right. Right? It's like, it's a cultural uh, thing at that point. Yeah. Like, it became that. But then to actually go to your question, with the 909, I'll bring this up again just because I like that I have it. Um, so this is the digital version of it. This is not the real one. The real version, actually, a friend of mine has one, and it is absolutely gargantuan. It's so big. It has mechanical <laughs> keyboard keys on yeah. it. Like, it's it's like... You know, it's like a big box. But the cool thing about the nine oh nine is when they made that let me just put this back when they made that, that was when they tried to hybrid things. Cause they're like, mm. We did the eight oh eight, but let's try and do something um hybrid and they realized that the one place they were lacking the most on was the symbols. So they have its um the kick and the snare and i'm pretty sure the toms are digital but the symbols in the 909 are actually sampled mm-hmm. so that's super interesting
3: yeah 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 I, I heard that too i heard that the uh the 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 hi-hat i guess all the the samples what was recorded or it, it's stored as a um 7-bit pcm file <laughs> because it was smaller (laughs) so it
1: could fit (laughs) well exponentially it would be yeah (laughs)
3: yeah and it's but it's so noisy too but it's Mm -hmm. that's another one of those things it's like okay as as like a quality piece of as a quality piece of audio captured from the real world it's that it's garbage basically What (laughs) what we would consider these days garbage um, yeah, but it's such a distinct sound that cuts through pretty much any mix, and
2: mm-hmm.
3: yeah, it, it just works so well. And and I think that uh, again, I think that it, it is a cultural thing. It's like people hear the offbeat, open nine oh nine, and they're like, okay, yeah, let's let's yep. <laughs> at the club, <laughs> time to groove. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and when I was a kid and started making uh, electronic music in Garage Band. Actually no, before that I was making That's it. Your,
1: that was your first dog? No,
3: there was one before it actually called Easy Beat. Um, it used oh, the oh. Uh, the um the original I guess QuickTime synthesizer GRM MIDI sounds. There was like 128 okay. of them, super limited. And uh I just wanted to I just because I heard the 909 hi-hat offbeat hi-hat in dance music and I was like I need that sound so bad and I got GarageBand and found out that they had it in their kit and I just used that on everything like (laughs) because it was just that was something that I wanted as as from a little kid that was such like a tasty sound for me Mm -hmm. and I still use it
1: well yeah absolutely you got used to it you wanted to replicate that and I think everybody kind of starts off wanting to replicate the things that they like so even for me when I went in to start, like, recording guitar, like, depending on what bands I had been listening to as a kid, like, totally influenced the way that I approached trying to mix my distorted guitar sound. Because if I was into, like, AC/DC and stuff like that, you know, if I was born a little bit earlier, I probably would have approached mixing that sound entirely different. But since I was, you know, born in the year I was, I was listening to, like, Linkin Park and, you know, all those bands that have that really overproduced, clean, distorted guitar sound, like... Cl- oxymoron clean distorted yeah. but you know what i mean like yeah and so like i want non-colored sound. sound yeah 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 very flat it's yeah like designed to be listened to on studio
0: monitors <laughs> mm-hmm. pretty much
1: yeah, yeah it's yeah, interesting
0: the uh just a side note here for anybody that is listening in for you guys it's called 808 the heart that the heart of the beat that changed the music um I, and basically it's on netflix i think and the picture looks like this looks like that <laughs> <laughs> cool makes sense it's definitely worth watching it's pretty interesting
1: yeah I'll definitely check that out Um, another sound actually again back on hi-hats that I've noticed is with all the new hip hop stuff that's coming out I like I really like actually a lot of the the sound of the the newer hip hop I really like the watery ambient interesting color that it, it has it's very pleasant to listen to on the ears but there's a specific hi-hat sound that they use in all that music it's like the I, I obviously can't do it with my face but it's uh, it, you'll hear it in like all of like XXXTentacion's music and like um, a couple other people uh, but i had someone send me a a song on i was doing a demo feedback night on stream and i had a hip hop producer send me a song, and he was using that exact sample, and I've heard it so many times, it sounds like like a chirpy, like not a bird, but like chirpy is the only way I can describe that sound. oh, I know you like about. It's like a flange almost,
0: on it, it's got, like, it's very Yeah, stereo. it almost sounds like it's got a flanger. Yeah.
1: It, yeah. And I was like, what is that sample? Where is it? And he's like, it's Fruity Loops Hi-Hat 1.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: no way. So, yeah. So like it made it it really reiterates because again going back to like when my students are asking me about sound design and stuff And they're like like this the same guy who was talking to me He's like, how did they make that 808 sound that way? I'm like, bro They did it by accident. <laughs> they literally like put some distortion on it It sounded good to them and then they used it and the reason why you think it's perfect is because you like the song You know, it's not like and then I rebuilt yeah. it for him. Yeah. Right and so just to like re again reiterating that fact is like I'm searching so intently for this perfect hi hat sample, not realizing that everyone's using it because it's just the first readily available one that they found and then chose it.
0: You know, yeah, what? yeah, you know, a funny uh uh comparison perfect. to this, it's like when cool people wear like really weird clothing, it still looks good, like it if you're Mm -hmm. not if you don't feel cool you feel uncomfortable like everything you wear it just doesn't feel right but then you're like oh that one cool it doesn't matter what they wear it's but it's not actually about the clothes it's about a how they like you know carry themselves around and (laughs) yeah Yeah,
3: i mean there's some weird fashion going around i'm like that looks like thrift store homeless person or like you're like a (laughs) like a middle schooler Wearing derelict, yeah, (laughs) or like Crocs. I mean, I don't think, and I don't know personally, no, but that's why is that a popular thing? And why is that like why are these like really cool, important celebrities, like not specifically Crocs, but you know, stuff like that? Yeah, no, I get get it. It's clearly more function than it is fashion. But because yeah. of the context of who's using it or who's wearing it, it, it's completely recontextualized. And that's something that people are, you know, trying to
0: it's something that people are looking to for fashion as fashion. Yeah. Now. Well, I feel like a lot of it is actually not about looking good. It's about being divisive. Because if you can split people down left and right, and they start talking about it, then boom, your job's done. Really, you just need to get people yeah. to start talking, right? So if it's some people like, wow, that's the best thing I've ever heard, and like other people like, you look like you just uh, you're homeless. Like it's like they're basically both. It doesn't matter well, as long as people are talking.
1: Mm-hmm. That's so funny because that that brings me to. I had a couple things that I was going to say about that. Um, first of which, I'll I'll try and keep in order so my brain doesn't just derail. <laughs> um, my uh, sister's boyfriend is like a fashion designer. And I don't know shit about fashion, like really. So we were in like one of those high end stores and uh, he's like pointing it out. He's like, how much, you know, how how expensive do you think these pants are? are? And I'm like, I don't know, like just off the top of my head, trying to overguess it. I'm like $600. He's like, no, they're like two grand. And I'm like, what the fuck, you know? And it's like, they don't even look good. They, They have like this stupid, like ugly thing. And he's like, the trick is not, it's not that they're like perfect, but like with high fashion, some of it is kind of an eyesore like on purpose you know it's like it looks almost stupid but then because of that it accentuates all of the rest of the things that you're wearing so you don't wear like a bunch of crazy looking things at once you wear like like a, a low-key shirt and, and and pants but then like a weird jacket or you wear a normal jacket and a wax t-shirt underneath you know and it's like that's what kind of like the juxtaposition against the two is kind of what grabs people's attention because you're you're showing like class mixed with fun. Right. And it's like yeah. interesting. That's I think there's a uh, there's definitely parallels uh in music with that.
3: Like,
2: mm-hmm.
3: um I think the I guess going back to like the the weird watery 808 music, mm-hmm. um, there's a snare. There's an 808 snare that I was looking for, for a long time. I've never been, I was never a fan of it, but I kept, it started growing on me more and more. It's like the chirpy, it's Is the, the chirpy, is the like Luther sugar snare. It's pr- <laughs> is it that one? Is that it's one probably that one. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's got that weird chirp in the beginning and it doesn't, but it cuts through everything. It's basically just like a brick though. Yeah. It's I like, think that's exactly the one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like it was just like band, <laughs> multi-banded like several times. Um, yeah. But that's used in like I hear Virtual Riot using it in rhythm as like the snare. Interesting. And there's everything around it is like super pristine and clean and huge and alive sounding. And then there's that snare in there. And it 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 works really, really well somehow. <laughs> and I think it's, it's like the it. juxtaposition. It's like it sounds better than if it would have just been like some big giant splashy snare, which we would expect
1: of that style, you know, for the past decade. Well, yeah, and it's kind of like if someone were to send me a song that was like basic dubstep music, you know, and I heard it and it was, you know, mixed normal with a normal dubstep snare and they captured the vibe of like what we heard a million times, I'd be like, cool, you did the thing, you recreated it. (laughs) But if they did all of that, but then used a really whack-ass snare that I wasn't expecting, it would grab my attention 100% and yeah. that's kind of like the thing that i've definitely been noticing a lot and specifically with snares um we used to always uh we talked about this last time everyone was trying to get that cohen snare like like that ringy you know boost at 200 layer it with a tom you know mm. do all these like special things to make it like fat fat and then now there's like you know you go to any cymatics sp- samples uh pack and it's like all of the snares are perfect. They sound exactly like that. You don't even need to mix or master it. It's not even hard to get that sound anymore. And so everybody got sort of bored with it. And now all the snares that I hear, or even like just drums in general, look at Flume, you know, all of the drums like sound like shit, but (laughs) they sound like good shit. And uh, yeah, that comes back again to uh, when we're talking about the 808 and 909. A friend of mine uh, told me once, uh, I don't know if you know Adam Kirshen, Adam K, Soha, like, yeah, like yeah, I know. Okay. Yeah, yeah. he's a friend of mine out here, and he told me, he gave me a great piece of advice when I was, like, talking about samples, because I'm hearing all these samples that sound like garbage, I'm like, I would never use these samples, you know, just like you with the with those toms, and he's like, every pooey sample has another pooey sample that it goes with, and we'll make them both sound good.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> that's interesting, okay. yeah. Yeah. I could see that. So so the other thing then um the other thing i was going to say when you brought this up joel i can't remember exactly what you said but i do remember where i was going with it is um with the uh (laughs) with the um the the influence that it has when you use these sort of sounds it's it's like when you choose to use something like different again it has to be like the one thing or like the two things in the song that are different because if someone sends me a song that is like completely a bunch of weird like experimental stuff that they've you know never done before and that I've never heard before it's gonna be like really jarring and and complicated and and almost like unpleasant to listen to but when you have just a couple things that are weird but then balanced with a a bunch of familiarity it's a lot easier to start to superimpose those new ideas in and you like blend it, you know, you're like, Hey, here's a little bit of the past with a little bit of the future and then eventually that will shift. And then there'll be a new future. And this like weird new stuff will be the past. And it's, yeah, it's kind of weird. Yeah, Um, no, like it goes,
3: (laughs) I I think that's, that's a great observation. And that's something that uh, I probably learned a little bit later. Um, that that works because like I've always been interested ever since I first started making dubstep when I first started um, I was just trying to recreate what I heard just like really simple like mm-hmm. one pa- or one or two patch wubby like obnoxious <laughs> triplety stuff Yeah, yeah. and then uh, I showed <laughs> my friend who turned me on a dubstep and he was like this this sounds good but it's like I want to hear something interesting like I, I want to hear something that I didn't expect And so I was like, oh, Mm -hmm. okay, challenge accepted. So literally everything that I made, it was just like, all right, here's 10 sounds in like eight bars and it's crazy. And Mm -hmm. at the time around, I'm talking like 20, uh, like 2010, 2011, 2012 kind of era, that was kind of, I think there was so much um, headroom unexplored, I guess stylistically, Mm -hmm. definitely. and yeah. that kind of became a thing. It's like complexro dubstep, I guess you can kind of think of it as. Yeah. yeah. It's like how many crazy mm-hmm. weird syncopated different sounds Thanks. could, can we add in such a short amount of time and still have it kind of groove. <clears throat> and that was my thing for a long time. I love doing that. Cause it's like, before I started making dubstep, uh, I was really into like IDM and glitchy, glitchy stuff. Like I was really mm-hmm. into like square pusher and an Apex twin particularly. Yeah. Oh, an infected wow. mushroom as yeah, that's well. out there. So oh, yeah, the combination yeah, 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 definitely. of the crazy cerebral stuff, I found that very pleasing. So uh, it was like kind of a no brainer for me. I was like, I'd, I'm just gonna do that. Really, I'm just gonna push that to the limit. And then everyone else started kind of doing it, um, and then it kind of reached a critical mass and broke off into mm-hmm. s- like really s- something super simple and way less maximized. Uh, like, yep. like. Like Big Room, you know, we were we were doing uh-huh. some nasty, crazy, articulate, syncopated complex house music. And then 2013 happened and then Big Room and we have like Boom.
0: for
1: two years, for two <laughs> years, that train was going, oh, man, that was the like worst. 50% of the I remember the this. <laughs> I remember this and I'll reiterate this because this is what brought this up last time in my mind is that music has a pattern and genres tend to follow this flow where it goes from a new thing to slightly getting more complicated and I'll just use the same example I did last time which is with jazz we had you know coming out of the the stride piano era then all of a sudden there's Dixieland jazz music which is just like again, unexplored, not really like pushing the boundaries, but it's like here setting the foundation for like what jazz will become. And then you get Charlie Parker, who's like, I'm gonna make it more complicated and starts doing bebop. And mm-hmm. then you move on to that and you get, uh, I can't think of the, the guy, the guy whose wife killed him. Um, uh, um, there was a uh, um, Lee Morgan, Lee Morgan into like hard bop era and stuff. And he's, he's like, yeah, hey, I'm gonna do like bebop with fast, crazy lines, but like push it even farther. And like, That kept going for a little while, and then eventually Critical Mass, and then Miles Davis was like, fuck this shit, I'm doing uh, the cool jazz era, and he, like, stops everything and chills it right out, and then Mm. that, like, went on for a while, and then everyone started emulating that, and it got kind of boring and oversaturated, and then John Coltrane comes in and starts doing all this modal jazz stuff, and, like pushing those boundaries, you know, from that foundation up into its limits, which then eventually comes, like, turns into, like, free jazz with two drummers and no music, like, pre-planned at all. And it's, like, critical mass, boom, rock era, chill rock, which was heavy when it happened, then, boom, like, you know, metal and then heavier metal and heavier and heavier, heavy, heavy, like, like, crazy, crazy progressive, like virtuoso stuff yeah and then eventually that drops off and and same thing with uh, with uh, electronic music right you just you reiterated just that perfectly well
0: keeping on with jazz too I feel like Jay Dilla basically was where that ended up he basically like okay well jazz exists now where can we mm-hmm. go outside of that genre but still keeping it and it's funny the reason why I bring this up is I just heard a song that was a jazz mm-hmm. band playing Jay Dilla style hip-hop beats so it's the next layer. Whoa. So it was like literally a We've full spent. live live jazz band, but they were actually playing a hip hop beat, and they were actually pa- playing like jazz, like loop jazz lines. And I was like, "This sounds Dude. really, really weird," but it was really cool. Let's see if I can I find that. Hear that. Yeah, it's just yeah. came up on YouTube recommended. Sometimes that stuff can there can be some pretty crazy stuff coming up on YouTube recommended. I help find that pretty cool. good for finding tracks.
3: I think, <laughs> yeah, that does seem to be. That's history repeats itself in in different in i guess like artistically as well it's like another thing is think about like uh like visual art or photography or mm. whatever um at the technology started continued improving and pictures and images became more vibrant and clear and um uh i guess eventually more sterile and now we have we can buy cameras that aren't really that expensive and capture like absurdly high fidelity, absurdly wide dynamic range of, of light. Um, And a lot of times, uh, yeah, a lot of the times we, we, we're, we don't even have like screens or ways to print it that actually can really represent that. But, uh, Mm -hmm. I guess my point is, it's like, there's a, there's a point where we started seeing a lot of, um, uh i guess like vintage instagram filter looking yeah samples
0: on your track same thing
3: right putting yeah yeah yeah. it's like okay you just you just made this a crappy film camera now (laughs) yeah but tastefully somehow (laughs) (laughs) and it's kind of like the same thing with like lo-fi music it's like let's let's so let's uh Take record all this the whole technology thing. in the world let's <laughs> record this whole thing to a cassette tape after you know we have after this mastering software. it in a perfect studio <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly and that's like a sought after thing it's because it's like okay yeah it's we've it's too much of the same thing so it's like let's just let's drop it back and uh, and simplify it in it but in this case it's more of like a a, uh, a perceptive I guess stylistically too, but more so like a perceptive thing, like how, how things are mixed and you like, you have indie music and lo-fi music and like, um, like new disco or, and now we
1: have, we have synthwave, which is, uh, yeah. Like the new version of whatever that was back in the past. Yeah. It's just 80s music in the the 20, in 2020. Um, but it's cool. Yeah, man. It's in it. It's kind of weird because even the concept of inspiration in general is literally taking influence from the past. It's just like every picture is a picture of you when you were younger. You know what I mean? So it's like, it just depends how far back into the past you want to reach into. And so sometimes, you know, we get to this point where we we're like, oh, we haven't explored that for a while. And I think it's like, it's when, you know, like a thing crosses the boundary from being old and out of date to then being nostalgic. Right, because it's like we get out of 80s music and we're not going to go back there for a while. You know, we're not going to go back there right away. We went into 90s music and like hip hop and went through a couple things. But eventually it was far enough in the past that we were able to start taking influence from it. And it was like a cool reminder that that existed as opposed to like, oh, you're just out of date. Totally. It's almost like we need
3: to fully remove ourselves from that era. Before we can actually yeah. go back to it and appreciate it like we did in the first place,
0: and I think it also dramatically mm-hmm. relates to the cycle of basically a, a single person going through their childhood, and then you hit basically adolescence, going through your teen years, and then as you become an adult, you basically, I would say, from like ages like eighteen to like twenty-three, you're basically just figuring things out, and then after that, once you know you're out of university, you're starting to do something that you're trying to find meaning. While well, you're say you're being an artist, and you're actually able to you know write those tracks that's when you start to be like okay well what is it that i was really like back then and it's like oh well i like all these little things like that i didn't even realize were influencing me at the at the time but we're kind of doing that full cycle and that happens to every single person that's ever lived basically yeah Mm -hmm.
3: yeah that's something that i've been trying to kind of become more aware of again it's like there's I was like, why I'm I'm thinking like, what do I, I always think of like, what am I, what am I doing with my brand? What am I trying to say? What actually is like really meaningful to me? I feel like everything is so convoluted and I'm being influenced by so many different things. I don't even really know who I am anymore. What I'm, what I'm trying to say artistically. And i had to to like, all right, what was, uh, what was childhood like? What was all the stuff that I was like imagining and pretending uh, Mm -hmm. in my life? And I'm just like, thinking now a lot of those things, you know, with, with the childish or childlike connotation aside, which is something that we're as growing, as we're growing up, we're trying to get away from that. You know, we want to be yeah. independent adults because that's yeah. like false promise of freedom or something. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but going back to that and kind of letting yourself see it from, um, I guess, uh, from a pure broader perspective, it's like, I still love all of that stuff that I was really into as a child and mm-hmm. I don't think that's going to go away. I think that's really a part of me. And yeah. I I think finding your inner child again and uh giving it attention is is a healthy thing. It's like kind of returning to innocence is um, Yeah. You know, we we go away from home, we take this huge journey and it's like eventually just I mean I th- back. you just come right back. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and it's fulfilling. That's a it's really interesting. I guess I got to fire up RuneScape again and start grinding. <laughs> 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 yeah. And yo pads. <laughs> Yeah,
1: oh god, uh, Neopets. Ugh, yeah. I didn't have any of those. I I literally couldn't uh I couldn't get into Neopets because I was like I know that I will eventually not be into them and I can't get over the idea of just never list, like looking at them again and they're all dead. Well, they're all just you they know? all just stay
0: famished because they've never been fed. Think about how many Neopets there are in the world that just haven't been fed in like 20 years. All of yeah. them. Uh, oh <laughs> all man. Of them. Anyways, I'm sorry about that tangent I just had to. <laughs> um, that, <laughs> maybe
3: maybe though there are just there's like like a, like a crazy Neopets, adult reality. Who's oh, an adult, okay. their reality entire counts, job, <laughs> their entire purpose of life is to rescue all of the Neopets. And make sure, <laughs> make sure that they're fed. <laughs> that's the Neopets
1: SPCA. <laughs> and SPCA. Yeah. Oh
0: man. Oh
1: man, that's crazy. That
0: would be. But yeah, yeah. Be
1: someone out I, there doing that.
0: That'd be if hilarious. You'd have to, like, hack people's accounts. You'd be like, you're literally trying to hack people's old emails so you can get access to their <laughs> Neopets <laughs> accounts. <laughs> oh, so you man. can feed them.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and then there's the one guy who still works for Neopets <laughs> keeping the <fight> site <laughs>
0: running for this one other dude who's using oh, it still. <laughs> God. I think that game's gotten a lot worse, but it's it's all, like, pay or whatever, but yeah. Oh, a while I go in there and I fire up Meerkat Chase or those mini games. Those were fun. Those <laughs> are actually pretty fun. But... Dude, actually, it's
1: funny, coming full circle about this and stuff, and it is relevant, because I think about, like, how I love all the video games that I used to play as a kid, and it's like, comparatively to the games that are out now, they're nothing, they're garbage, almost, you know, in a a way, Mm -hmm. but... I still like those games and I think they're like better than the games that came out now because the imperfections about those games the way that you had to learn how to deal with the janky software that's trying to run the very badly written physics (laughs) engine like that's part of figuring out how to play the game and it's fun because you can't just do it and do it perfectly and I see like games today like like uh, I I don't I, I don't play a lot of like RPG or games I don't really keep up the only game I play is Smash Bros but like when I watch people play like like Assassin's Creed or something like that it's like okay you sneak up behind an enemy and then you like press a button and then it does this like crazy (laughs) choreographed animation where it's like killing a guy or whatever and it's like you're watching a movie and pressing okay next scene basically over and over again and it's like that Uh doesn't feel like a game to me right yeah so but it's weird because then I'm like later in the future when there's new crazier games those people are going to be like oh i remember back when it was like assassin's creed you know and like for me i'm like oh i remember you know mario and and like all those like crazy games and then like my parents are like oh i remember good old atari you know and it's like (laughs) it's weird how that nostalgia becomes like built into you because you spent all of your time like falling in love with this concept back then that it really never dies in that way Well, that's when our brains are wiring themselves mm-hmm
3: yeah i mean we're our brains are so so much slower i guess in and in, in uh, its ability to rewire itself than we were as a kid i mean it, we were pretty much just like an empty hard drive as a kid
1: oh, just dude, i was it just all gonna say hard drive yeah. <laughs> i was just gonna say hard drive it's like now i have to delete things to make space for new shit right i have to defragment regularly yeah, <laughs> Before it was yeah. Like, just bring it in i got terabytes bro i just bring it all in <laughs> Yeah, dude. I mean,
0: Gen Z doesn't even know what defragging is, probably. Which is crazy. <laughs> or uh cleaning the gunk out of the mouse ball. You ever have to do that? Oh. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Okay, we're definitely oh, uh, I this forgot. is a bit of a boomer a boomer conversation, but <laughs> yeah. a little bit.
1: Man, trippy. Yeah, yeah I remember dial up internet, yep. dude. Like the fact that we're doing what we're doing right oh, now yeah. is absolutely insane <laughs> compared to what I dealt with when internet first started being like public. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You pick up the phone to call someone, and all you hear is.
3: <laughs> You're like, "Hey, get off that computer!" Yeah. The computers would scream at each other through the telephone. Yeah,
0: <laughs> and that's that's pretty much exactly what they're doing, which is crazy. <laughs> so whack, dude! It's so yeah. weird. What's crazy now is regular, and it's literally just the same thing. They just scream a lot faster, and they have their own lines. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they scream through light. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! This conversation. So, so uh, I'm definitely not helping
1: the the. Uh, no, 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 no! It's okay. <laughs> no, because this still this still relates back. Thinking about um, you know, nostalgia and your past, and like I have a lot to say about that because. You know every now and then you know i think everybody goes through like depressive stages in life where they don't do certain things when they really should and it's like i have all the ability in the world to be making music all day long i live in a studio right and it's like i'm set up i literally have i'm in reaching distance of everything that i could have ever wanted and as a kid i'm like all i want is that just give me a room that's my own that i can make music in like i would do things every day and And then all of a sudden I find myself like in a depressive state today where I don't do anything. And it's like, if I could have a conversation with my 13 year old self, dude, he would kick me in the balls. (laughs) And like, it's so weird thinking about like what that conversation would be because it's like, if I could talk to my 13 year old self and be like, what do you want? He would be able to give me all the answers to what I should be doing right now. And it's like somewhere along the way, during the process of trying to become this person, We lose sight. I lost touch with that. You lose touch with it. Yeah, you lose sight of of your goals. And you have to eventually look back to your past to remember what your your goal was in the first place. Yeah. I think those
3: limitations inspired a lot of uh, motivation and and, and goal building and Mm -hmm. uh, ingenuity. It's like I didn't have any money when I was a kid. I couldn't just mm-hmm. go buy something on Amazon and have it show up the next day yeah. you know, whatever I want. Um,
2: mm-hmm.
3: I had a crappy computer with uh, that barely ran GarageBand. And yeah, I I juiced it as much as I could. You know, I got as much uh, as I could out of that limitation. And I think it's interesting because like with, with video games, going back to that, I think a lot of because I, I, I don't I'm not into really I'm really not into new games. <clears throat> I like old classic games. I like Unreal mm-hmm. Tournament and Deus Ex and that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Like, yeah, super limited in what they're capable of. But I think because of that limitation, they're they, um, the way the game was designed and written was so much more, um, I want to say, methodical and deeper. Because a lot of mm-hmm. there's there's more of a, uh,
0: I don't know, particularly A Ex story more.
3: Yeah, there's the storyline, holds up.
0: And they're I think focused. a lot they're better like than focused almost on what's actually important.
3: Yeah, they have their priorities straight. Yeah, and I think <laughs> in music it's kind of the same thing, um, more or less. When you have the limitations of like, uh, like, like having a having a modular rack, for instance, making music mm-hmm. on a modular rack, or just like you know a really basic analog synth, you can't do can't import samples and do crazy uh resampling or resynthesis and um, you don't have splice at your disposal uh, <laughs> but I find that and I didn't understand it's like why would you want something that sound that is so hard to s- make it sound good like yeah. anything that I anything that could make like I could make it any other synth and I wouldn't even like it because it just doesn't sound good <laughs> <laughs> but now, I kind of wish I had that because um, yeah, giving myself a limitation, it, mm-hmm. it inspires so many more things that I'm depriving myself of, I'm uh, depriving myself of unknowingly creatively. Mm-hmm. Um, I did a uh, production challenge, I think like a year or two ago um, with my friend Jetto and the, it was a, it was on, it was on a, it was on Twitch and we recorded it. And mm. the goal was he, he found, um, Zelda Ocarina of Time, I think it was, Um, sound font file. And apparently you can take sound fonts and drag them into Ableton and they get converted to sampler instruments. (laughs) And uh, we gave ourselves like an hour or two to see what we could write with just these really terrible sound fonts, somehow creatively turning them into something. And that's all we could use. No synths or no... Yeah basically no sense but those. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I I ended up making a song that was like I would have never thought to make anything in this style and that was really mm-hmm. fun and really fulfilling and it's like wow, I want to I want to do that. I, wanna, I wish I could come up with that kind of stuff just like when I sit down and have the freedom to use whatever I want to to uh to create with. But I think there's like a give and take there. It's like there's option paralysis. And then if we have everything we want at our disposal, then we're just going to do the things that we're most used to. It's not going to force us outside the box. It's not going to get us into that critical thinking slash flow state headspace. And that's, that's interesting. I think because like they sound kind of contradictory, but when you're, when you're on a time crunch, you don't have time to overthink things. So it's like, all right, this is a new thing. This is a totally novel thing that I'm doing. And I think there's a lot of inner work that uh that goes into that rather than just like sitting down at your doll, open up serum, FM from B, F <laughs> one fifty
0: BPM kind of thing. Yeah, you yeah. know what I mean? Well Snooze of Paralyzed, that's exactly the word I had in my head as well. Um and I feel like what I mean, I've done the exact same thing. My room is you know, I've surrounded I literally just bought my fourth launch pad. So I've got four of those now. <laughs> You have to see this guy's setup. We'll
1: talk about it some other time. It's cool. It's really cool. He can he can produce house music live. It's really cool.
0: <laughs> okay, I'm but intrigued. I'm actually that. using those to, to actually to actually produce. But at the same time, I'm lying to myself. It's making it more complicated, but I'm also <laughs> making it simpler. I'm actually I have to be on the call with them for support because it's blue screen my computer now. Because apparently you can't do oh, four of them at the same time. <laughs> what? So oh, none of them plugged in right now, but um, I just lost my train of thought entirely. Talking about paralysis. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I definitely just lost it all because I was talking about launch pads. That makes me really sad. Um, uh, that's fine. Yeah. Well, was...
1: Option paralysis, doing the same thing. FM from B. FM from 150 BPM.
0: Well, it's like the, having those, having the actually kind of limiting yourself essentially is what... Um, okay. Yeah. So I got, I got it back. Sorry. Um, basically, when you first start, you don't have anything, right? And, and you you have the, these limited tools at your disposal. And, you know, you you make, make a track and you value that track kind of on how it sounds against the tracks that you're looking for like you're listening mm-hmm. to so and and the I feel like the trap that you fall into or at least that I fell into is that you know it's not mixed properly or you don't know how to make these sounds but the fact that it's not mixed properly and it doesn't have the right sounds is not really what's making it a bad song it's more about like the actual kind of the fundamentals of the song that are making it a bad song and you know when you spend more and more time giving yourself more capabilities, it becomes harder to get back to that that core idea of the song. You get that paralysis when really, you know, when you have these big studios around all this stuff, you only really use all this capability in like the mixing and mastering stages. And maybe the writing process should be actually limited. So like when you're actually doing that writing, you limit yourself to the tools you do. And then it's still handy to have, you know, the, the full studios, the, you know, the really nice headphones and all that kind of stuff for you know the mm-hmm. mixing and mastering to do the polish but that's really just the icing on the cake what actually matters is how you wrote the idea in the first place in my opinion so
3: yeah yeah i, th- I think having an environment that is and i think it requires uh exploring like getting out of your comfort g- comfort zone to know what actually inspires you which then in turn puts you into a flow state that's actually fulfilling yeah like i have instruments i have a guitar a bass and a keyboard right next to me oh yeah and a mandolin back there. I was a key And I have a key, oh, this little keyboard right in front of me, and I only use it to press like one note at a time to, to preview <laughs> to preview samples and patches. Yeah. And I'm in the DAW sequencing something, and I'm like, why can't I come up with a good melody? And it's, everything just sounds too forced. Yeah. Or yeah, it's because you forgot to play music. <laughs> yeah. And I kind of miss back in the day. I think. I personally think my music, it was less well-produced, but I think it was more innovative and more musical. I'm talking about, like, back in the days of, like, 20, probably, like, 20, 2011 to 2014, um, Mm -hmm. when I was actually actively playing uh, real instruments, like, being in college and mandatory lessons or, like, playing in concert band or... Mm hmm uh, even just having a having a real piano in my house and jamming out on that was so inspirational. Unknowingly, like that allowed me to, um, I, I think it it really just made me think outside the box because I'm limited by what I'm able to do with my hands, and that's a good thing in most cases
1: because sometimes the simplest thing I is wonders, the best. Yeah, I have to wonder if then, because that's super interesting. It's like it's a lot easier to think outside the box when the box is this big. But when you're looking at Ableton, the box is so big, and you're still trying to look outside it, and you're like, well, I'm never going to find the edge because
0: it's an infinite universe Yeah, you walk around the box, and you're like, wait, there's this other box called Max for Live. And then you spend five hours (laughs) running around in that, and you're like, I've never found the exit. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great analogy. Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting because, like,
1: well, yeah, and that's uh, this is kind of the way I look at it. It's like, Everything that exists is defined by its limits. You know, if something was everything, then that thing would really be nothing. You know, if I asked you to paint a picture of everything, like <laughs> paint me a picture that is of everything, <laughs> what, the, what would it look like? It, it would be nothing because you would never be able to see it at one time. Right. It's, it's not possible. So something only becomes defined by what it isn't. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, you know, a piano is a piano because it's not any other instrument, you know, not just because of what it is. There's like everything on the other side of it that also takes into account, like, what something is going to be. And it's like, if you write a song that is, that uses every single note and is every single genre and is every single tempo, and, you know, it's like, what would what would it be you'd never be able to define it right are mm-hmm. the genres are defined by their limits you know everything is defined by by the limits that that of the parameters yeah yeah right. with some exceptions i mean yeah that song bit.
3: that you showed me that you guys did <laughs> oh yeah. yeah oh yeah <laughs> it's pretty freaking awesome lot. it's definitely suffering <laughs> well, from you.
0: having too many things in it though that's not, i mean every time i listen to it it's like there's a lot going on but yeah. context is everything i guess i think i was in the
1: right place at the right time to listen yeah. to that and it yeah it's thoroughly enjoyable yeah well thank you it, yeah th- I, I always forget and even not even specifically with that song but but with with that song as well like i i finish a track and then you know a couple weeks later i'm like oh well you know finished another song time to make another one and you kind of forget to, like, appreciate your own work. And then, like, mm-hmm. sometimes you'll go back and listen to something that you made a while ago. And hopefully, you know, if that song did stand the test of time, it's like, I'll listen to some of my old music and be like, nice. You know, like, that was actually pretty good. I do like this song. You know, I am, I'm, I'm happy with that. Yeah. yeah. And and that's an important thing, I think, because a, a lot of the times I get stuck in, like, a a perpetual System of never feeling like I'm going anywhere because even when I, like I said, finish a song, it's like okay, sweet, I'm to make another one. Yeah. You know, I'm always, mm-hmm. you know, constantly like never finished, right? It's and like when I used to do like tile setting for a little while, like that was such like under um uh what's it, what's the word when you're like satisfied with the job well done? I, I can't it right now, but yeah, it, well it was very unsatisfying, yeah, to say the least of a job because, you know, especially me not being like a finishing person. It's like, I would go to a job site, deal with a bunch of mess, grind some floors, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then like the next day I would go to work and they're like, okay, go to this job site and do that. And I've never even actually see the job uh, finished. Yeah. So it was just so unsatisfying. Yeah. Right. And so like when you get to experience that satisfaction of a job, well done, I think that's the sentence I was looking for, like that really really helps to keep you motivated and sometimes you really need to take a step back and remember what you've done and not focus on what you haven't done yet and that kind of helps you know keep things moving and keep you inspired really yeah i i completely agree i think the headspace
3: of you if the carrot is always in front of you <laughs> um, yeah, then I, I I I started from the end. I get it. I get the analogy for sure. <laughs> Everyone's going like to, the to the sit carrot. back and eat it a little bit.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: Right.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's important to appreciate w- the present and where you are now. <clears throat>
2: yeah.
3: Hmm. Um. I think there's. I think people are afraid. I mean, I'm guilty of it. I'm afraid that if I am, if I let myself uh, feel appreciative of what I have now, that I'm going to get complacent. And I'm not going to move forward, Uh, but find a lot of cases that you you need that to be reassured, de-stress and decompress, like find time to relax once in a while. Because once you do, then you're actually more, you're more ready to tackle the next big thing that you, uh, that is your goal. Other than just like always being once feeling like
1: you're one step behind of where you should be. Yeah. Yeah, I think the difference is between satisfaction and content, because if you're content, you're complacent. But if you're satisfied, then you're just acknowledging what reality is and you can still continue to move forward. Exactly.
0: Well, it's like listening to your track and being like, you know what? i You can acknowledge all the great things and be like, wow, I'm the best. I don't even need to do it and then make the same song again. Or you can be like, I did really good. And I'm proud of that. But then these are the things I can still work I can on. You know, there's—I obviously, where do I want to go from here? Um, I'm not I'm not this isn't where I'm going to end up and kind of having that mindset. But I think it's really healthy to take to have that basically those breaks and actually not feel guilty Mm -hmm. with them. Because for me, like I can do a crazy grind of work for like years straight where I was just basically just working constantly. And I really like music. So if I'm not working at work, I'm working at music on music at home. But at a certain point, music becomes work as well when you especially when Mm -hmm. you set deadlines on yourself and like I wouldn't take any breaks or if I take a break, I'd feel guilty for it. And I think the key yeah, is to yes, take a break absolutely. and not feel guilty and realize that you need it or, or, and like say, I'm taking a break so that tomorrow I can kill it. And like actually, you know, sitting back and not doing anything.
3: Something I read at one point that relates to that is um, to how, like how to keep, how to stay motivated when it comes to Is it the dopam-
1: dopamine detox thing?
3: No. I okay, mean that's ahead, ahead, there's that's a whole that's definitely a conversation worth having, um, but yeah. And in, in a way, I guess it relates to it. It's the it's basically like if you're in the if you're in the flow of like a song and you're really feeling it and you you know what you are about to do next um, and you're confident in it. Um, and it's like if it's if it's if it if the day is is closing but you still feel like you're you've got a lot of the motivation. Uh, stop one step before you think you're going to stop. And then when you come back to it, Oh, you're going to start smart. off with that boost because you already established smart. what it is what you're going to do. And then you get into yeah. that flow. And maybe write it down or Dude, something. Actually write it down. I have down. goosebumps. I've never thought about doing that. That's so smart.
0: Yeah. You know that thing uh, that you really I always want to do? do... Yeah don't do it yeah. and then do it tomorrow yeah <laughs> that's the same thing so it's like writing uh-huh. down lists before you go to sleep because it's like okay i'm not yeah. gonna do it today but i'm gonna write it down so that i remember to do it the next day and then when you start your day it's like boom and it also helps you fall asleep easier because you're not you're like i'm not i'm not forgetting about it i wrote it down mm-hmm. and it's really similar to that yeah i should do that yeah, as speaking well.
1: of of not forgetting about things i remember i actually asked you this the very first time we had a conversation online um, about like those situations where you do go to sleep and all of a sudden you have every idea in the world and you know you're like fuck this is the greatest song ever like why is it in my head now like how often you know do you actually take the time to get out of bed and write it down like genuinely for me I've only ever done it probably like 10 to 15 times where I'm like i need to you know yeah and like i'll get out of bed and write it and like do something but other times i'm like i i'll just write i'll just use this code that i i made and i'll <laughs> open my phone and put in like some dashes and dots and be like yeah i'll, I'll remember this. i'll remember this tomorrow you look at it you're like duh 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 uh-huh
3: <laughs> like, what? yeah just like writing down like the, the just like the intervals of the chord progression as numbers and yeah yeah just you know yeah it doesn't have and that you soul. look at it,
1: it's like one five nine five one okay <laughs> sure is that a melody is that a phone number to yeah. a pizza place <laughs> 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 yeah 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 <laughs> phone number. yeah I man
0: it's humming a... it and just recording a voice man was like the tried and true probably the best way to do it because then you get the rhythm and the melody all in one yeah even though, yeah. if
1: you're good at singing
0: i mean you don't right. even really have to if you just want to get the idea down unless you're really really bad but yeah i do that a lot but the funny thing
1: is it's like i never reference them they're just all on my phone hmm. just dude yeah <laughs> I, I actually wrote down i actually wrote down as like kind of like semi something to use as lyrics one day maybe or whatever but i wrote down in one of my notes i'm like what's the point of writing all these notes if you never read them <laughs> you wait you wrote that down <laughs> In the notes, so you're literally <laughs>
0: calling yourself out, yeah, with the method that you call you calling out, <laughs> nice. yeah, a little That's right. fractal, the little spiral,
1: yeah. yeah, exactly. Of course, I love that you knew exactly what I meant when I did yes. this. <laughs> it's like fractal, yeah.
0: <laughs> we're just spiraling out at this point. Yeah. Oh man. Uh, well, we're an hour 21 in. That's pretty quick, dude. Time just flies, Whoa. eh? Wow. It's like a. That
1: was that was nice. Cause we started from the no bottom. Idea. And now we're here, <laughs> Drake. Started from the left, and now we're all the way we're to the right. right. <laughs> and now we all right.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I'll just put like a slow pan on the video so that like our cameras are slowly sliding to the right, but unnoticeably <laughs> for the entire episode. <laughs> that would actually be hilarious. Yeah. If the, it was the possible. amount of dumb things like that we've tried to do. Like we tried to pass the water ball one time, just to and just not acknowledge yeah, it, it the entire great. time. Yeah.
1: Because usually our, our screens are, are left and right like yeah. this. Mm. But but yeah, good times. I guess right now I'd have to be like... Pass it down. Hey, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cheers. yeah, Cheers. Oh, yeah. no, there you go. That actually worked. Cheers. Yeah, yeah. Cheers. Oh, no, All I'm right. going the I wrong got... way. There we go. Right. Cheers. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Wait, where's the center? Right, right here? There. Oh, no, it's yeah. above yeah, your keyboard. Yeah, yeah. Oh,
2: wait.
1: <laughs> cheers. I went the wrong way. There we go.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're not in quarantine. We're just hanging yeah. out. <laughs> and we had this idea that... Because uh, he comes to Vancouver most summers, and I don't know if you will this summer, but... We'll do the regular video, but then I'll green screen a video picture of his thing. My studio. And then we'll pull the green screen down. And be like, by the way, we're actually in the same place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> Just so much work. But because we never have actually done one where we're both in, in Vancouver. So that might be interesting.
1: Right. But we'll have to cut this part out of the interview so that no one knows it. But Oh, it yeah. Happens, crap. I, I probably real? shouldn't
0: have said that. Oh, well, maybe it's a surprise.
1: <laughs> Easter egg. Yeah. <laughs> that's how you know that yeah, they watch this totally one.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So then, on that note, how much uh, how much time do you have? Because we can keep going for sure, but it's up to you. I went
0: to about four fifteen myself because I have a call. All well, for everyone, four twenty.
1: What time What time is it right now for you? I it's three fifty one. So clock. that's like an
0: hour, another twenty minutes.
1: Okay, we can probably do another twenty if you want. I'm now. I'm cool with that. Yeah. Okay. I feel like there was um, so
3: much, so many potential tangential topics. That so many. I just forgot about yeah <laughs> that we were about to talk about.
1: Yeah, I mean they'll definitely come up. There's there's always time. Um, I'm trying to think. I mean, we started with, uh, and we referenced it a lot. Actually, we didn't deviate too far. But the idea of actually remembering to continue writing a song, even though you're starting, you know, even when you're dealing with like intense sound design. So yeah, it's like, do you think it's better to try and start writing a song by? going in and like writing the whole arrangement out and then orchestrate it underneath or like how do you what is your process generally for like starting a song like when you open a blank Ableton project file what what goes on through your head
3: you know to be honest um, and I'm I wish it weren't the case like I, I feel a little bit hypocritical telling people like this is definitely a better method than doing it this way um, <clears throat> <laughs> it may be a better method. sometimes it may be a better method sometimes it may not be. Uh. Uh, ideally um, the first thing is like go into it and don't take it too seriously. I think that's the that's the first thing because like whenever I sit down and have some kind of intention about how this is going to exist in the world mm. externally, whether that be how are my friends or audience going to, think about what this is going to be, or like go, hearing a song and I'm like, Ooh, I want to do that, but, but, but better or something, or like put a twist to it or mm-hmm. like have this elaborate idea or this potential idea for something elaborate. That seems like a good idea in the moment. And I try to get to work on that. Um, the, when you're starting off with a blank slate, I think it's, it's the most important to get into uh, a flow state and not worry about all these technical things uh, not worry about like how it's going to be received. And uh, I guess the, uh, what is it called? Um, the, the, the logical logistical outcome. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause yeah. when I, when I do that, I'm, Oftentimes, I'll just either abandon the song because I just like lose steam, probably because it's not actually coming from a genuine place in the first place. Yeah, I don't realize that mm-hmm. until I have until after I try it. Uh, or um, I'm having uh, I, I, it just takes a really long time and I'm working on it for months, mm-hmm. I'm still not satisfied with it. And then I'll get some idea, some new idea, I'm like, oh, let me just write this down real quick in a new session, and then. that ends up being the the better song in the matter of like a couple days and it's done
2: (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: well it's probably also because you're like you're literally building up all this energy you're trying to write something like you want to write something but you're limiting yourself to that project file and the constraints of it and you're like oh i have this idea it's like nope and then you're doing that for a period of months so like for me it's like you're building up that creative energy the moment you step into a fresh place and you don't have any limitations it's like boom go yeah you hit the ground running uh, exactly yeah so I would yeah, say it's like you almost limit
1: yourself. Uh, you almost like limit yourself to all the your potential, you know, tangents again, like of what your, your music could be when you're focused so specifically on trying to recreate something that like at the end of the day, you know, any experienced producer will tell you is unlikely to turn out exactly like what was in your mind. Right. I really wish we had a way to plug in a little eighth inch jack into my brain and then have it plug in whatever I want. <laughs> but unfortunately, it's, it's really difficult to do.
3: Yeah gotta talk to elon musk about that i feel like he's probably mm-hmm. working on uh that with the Neuralink. but hell yeah like, are you working on a daw for that please <laughs> 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 uh, but so i anyway going back i th- i think the best way to approach would be um if you're gonna do if you're gonna write horizontally and what i mean by that is kind of like write out the skeleton n- try not to focus on sound design or mixing it's important to to at least for me I think it's the case with a lot of other producers, it's like, if it doesn't actually sound good, like if the sounds you're using don't sound pretty good off the bat that you're using, whether it be presets or patches or stuff. And that's why I'm always about like doing sound design jams and making your own presets. Mm -hmm. But I'll get to that in a minute. um, Then that's not going to be enough to to sustain you. um, I don't think unless you have like a full, fully fledged idea out in your mind already. And. You could you could theoretically just notate it on paper. Um, it's it's tough to do that, just like flesh the whole thing out without doing like mixing or stuff along the way. But I would say if you have a good arsenal of sounds that you like, um, or like presets or patches and stuff that you can not in invest a ton of time in just like, you know, tweak a few knobs, get it to sound solid and then move on to the next thing. You don't want to lose that creative compositional mm-hmm. flow. Uh, I think, mm-hmm. I think that can be found in sound design. Um, but when it comes to composition, it seems to be a much more um, elusive, ethereal thing. It's like, yeah, you feel like Absolutely. you may be on us on a roll spend one more minute trying to eq that kick drum and you might just lose the you're whole done thing. yeah yeah yeah
1: even even going as far as like if you don't have a, a a strong sense of like ear training or like interval understanding like even like i have a melody in my head and you're like Okay, time to find the first note if it like for some people and for me back in the day if it takes too long for me to even just find that pitch to start it I've already forgotten the melody yeah or you know if I can't find the next one right so it's like you need to get those important things elusive is like the perfect word you need to get that elusive stuff on the screen now because you can spend all day doing sound design later that's it's easy you know that's the that's the easy part
3: right and yeah that's fun too I think doing designating us like sitting down and I guess asking yourself, do you want to write a song or do you want to make sounds? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. they're very different thought. They're very different things. I mean, of course, there's a lot of overlap, mm-hmm. especially when you're making electronic, when you're making electronic music. I mean, <laughs> the opposite of that, uh, but it's a, a parallel that would be an extreme case of that would be like, okay, go into the studio um, with your band and yeah. try to, try to build your instruments real quick <laughs> before you record. Like, yeah, you know, such some, a waste of time. Yeah. You already have the instruments, yeah. so you don't have to worry about that. You already have the sounds that you made and, and constructed. You don't have to worry about that. Yeah. So I'll either sit down yeah. and just open up a synth and I'll use, lately I've been using Edison, the uh, image line plugin, cause mm. I really like the ability to just not be restricted to your timeline. Uh, and just record audio Mm. and then just start throwing effects on and just recording everything that I'm making. And the great thing about that is you're not committed. You don't have to be uh, committed to any sound. And I think even though you may not think like if you're not recording, you may not think that you're committed to anything, but I think subconsciously you are Mm -hmm. definitely preventing yourself from doing a lot of explorative things, especially when you're starting to come, come on, uh stumble upon something that sounds good like a cool sound mm-hmm. you you're, you become less and less inclined to make dra- like broad strokes yeah. and change yeah, that absolutely. drastically and so i think just recording everything that you're doing at least you have a good chunk of that good sound uh that you can just you know use and then just save the whole thing as a stem and reference it later or you know if you want to go through it and pick out the gold and then save those as as uh, stems later or save those yeah, as but the samples. options are there. Yeah. Sample yourself. Yeah, yeah exactly. And then when you yeah, go, and it's like, yeah, sorry, I was gonna say, and then when you're, when you go into the compositional session, you have your own sample pack of unique sounds that you are already familiar with. So it's like, you can, mm-hmm. it's easier to audiate what the song should be based off of what you've already heard because of what you've already created. And you don't have any guilt for using someone else's patches or samples. Yeah. Um, some people, I guess that doesn't it doesn't bother them, but for me, it does yeah um, yeah, and you just reference that and it's like song can be fleshed out really quickly and Very, it's yeah. fun because it sounds good mm-hmm. along
0: the way, yeah, I think that's and sounds like you, yeah, yeah, and it's unique the the idea of that you actually know where all the sounds come from is actually huge, I think just i never really thought of it that way but being able to be like okay i know kind of you know you're not gonna remember everything you did but it's like you actually remember one or two of the effects you used on that it's like well to make everything else sound like it came from the same place me and mike were talking about this years ago when we were getting into resampling it's like if you want to build an environment um everything has to work together and what's an interesting way to do that is actually start from a single source sound and build all of your sounds. And maybe not like, you know, they're not everything is coming from that, but like a large amount of your texture coming is all coming from a single set of sounds. And, yeah. I, th- and I think the familiarity of having uh, kind of that procedure, like knowing where all these sounds come from, you know, it's like you're familiar with them all intimately because you spent hours kind of coming up with them. It, it, that actually, in a way that I would never, I don't even think about, actually probably impacts your writing in the writing stage quite a bit um possibly mm-hmm. are
3: are you, there are two things that um i i would need you to clarify are you referring to like starting off with a single sound and then branching that off into multiple sounds or are you more so referring to understanding how something can become Yes, yeah, so i ju- I, s- I
0: subtangented in the middle of that but it, uh, <laughs> okay i the the main thing was branching off what you said was Um, when you make your own samples you actually know how they were made so that's for me that's probably the biggest thing but then and then my side tangent was also if you make something and you make a bunch of things all based off the same kind of parent um Mm -hmm. those can also have some familiarity so you have a pack where everything is actually from the same environment yeah and that can help as well
3: Totally. I um, it's something that I I I guess I do less often now that I'm doing it with this new method that I'm that I'm telling you telling you guys about more often. But back in the day, before I even knew anything about that, I was just trying to sound design. I was writing vertically. I was like, let's just make mm-hmm. a column, let's just make a column of uh, like one bar sound really good, and then move on to the next bar and try to piece it together. Mm-hmm. Um, and doing that, a lot of the sounds that I um was was making is I'll just have one patch, and for one sound and then for the next sound. And I think a part of this, cause I was using logic. I think a part of this was also just like to speed up workflow. My process was just to duplicate the track with everything on it and then just start tweaking yeah. that into something different rather than just like, all yeah. right, loading something new on. So like loading a new synth on and then building it from the bottom up again. And I think that inherently, well, it did two things. It was faster workflow wise. And secondly, it kind of, uh, was it kind of kept everything in the same environment, like you are saying. Yeah. Like, Tamberly Yeah. It's, it's like when you have something that is, when you have two of the same sounds, you have a better sense of, I think where you want to go because mm-hmm. do I want to change it? Tamburly. Do I want to change it? Texturally. Do I want to change the note? Uh, or, uh, yeah, it's easier to destroy something than it is to con- to, to create something.
0: And if, you, if yeah. you start from a sound design session, say you start with a single sound, and then you basically, you know, the way I see sound design is it's a bunch of branches. You can go off in all these different directions. And say you mm-hmm. just go off in all those different directions, and you make a whole pack out of it. You essentially can skip the entire pr- process of exploring, and you have it all just in samples. And so then you can basically yeah. pick the path that you think makes the most sense, because, you know, when you have that evolution of a sound, like, where it's like... It's literally morphing into sound into sound. I find those that's very interesting in that it's basically you know it's it's automating in ways that d- people can't even think because like they've never even thought of using those methods of doing it. And if you have it all in samples, you literally have all those paths already designed, and you can just kind of go through them and just grab them, yeah. and put them where they need to be in a song, and you know that's, if, that's just that's dropping so interesting. samples is really easy because doing that from yeah. a resampling way is almost it's very hard to write if you're doing that level of resampling. Oh yeah. That's
3: something that I was trying to do before I was like, how does Cohen sound do like these crazy bass lines that sound like they make sense and and get progressively more interesting and complex as the song goes on, but still grooves. Um, and I always thought it was like, okay, let's, uh, let's just figure out a MIDI pattern and then Mm. just use a shit ton of (laughs) plugins after it. And that, I think that is a good exercise. Because yeah. you can get some really interesting stuff with that, and it teaches you a lot, and also teaches you your CPU's limitations.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Which you'll reach pretty quick. <laughs> yeah.
3: Um, and I, I know a lot of producers that refuse to, to to do the resampling method, like refuse to render stuff to, to audio and then work with audio. That's too committal. <laughs> it's too committal. Hey, and I was like that too. Um, and what really started to break me through that was when I wrote the recency effect with uh, Mr. Bill, mm. that album, I lived with him for Mm -hmm. about two months, I think, or maybe it was a month and a half back in 2016. Um, And that's cool. We, we were working, we were working on songs and we would kind of just like switch on and off. we be in the driver's seat. He'd uh, he'll start like a beat and then he'll be like, make like a, how do I make this sound? Uh, Like how do I synthesize this sound? And so I'll hop in, start synthesizing the sound, make like a baseline, do some articulation um, with automation, and then um, I feel like we got something pretty good. And he'll start to work on it, and it'll get more complex. And then he'll start doing some really complex stuff with like multiple tracks. And I mean,
2: I, you doing check out Bill his thing. Yeah, yeah, you check <laughs> out his
3: check out his YouTube videos. Yeah,
1: <laughs>
3: but it'll get to the point where it's like, okay, this is the top. This is totally where it where I was listening for this is totally what I was imagining that it would be. And, uh, yeah, we're done. Like we got it. And then 15 steps later is actually where his head was at. He's like, Oh no, we're just getting started and it'll get so complex. I'm just like, why is he destroying the sound? Why is it? That was an awesome sound. And then at the very end, it's like totally recontextualized. Like that makes sense. And he's like, all right, yeah, let's I'm just gonna render it to stems. This Sessions getting, getting pretty slow. Yeah. And I'm just like, uh, why we have so much? um We have so much, just like crazy, innovative stuff going on right there. Like I'm attached. Yeah, what if to I want
1: to change a MIDI? Yeah. What if we want to change the
3: note? He's like, we'll just do it in audio. Rah. Fuck it. Yeah. And so he'll yeah. render the whole song. We had like 60 tracks of just like since and uh, percussion. He'll render all of it down to like three stems. Whoa. And it <laughs> Whoa. was just get, like we did this for like every song. And initially, it was just like giving me anxiety. And I'm just like, I don't even, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to work on this anymore. And then I'll, I start seeing what he was doing with the audio. And I'm just like, wow, that actually, with you're committing to
0: deleting the past. Yeah. In a sense. Mm-hmm. And you have so in much more. The future. Yeah. It's like throwing away the baggage that's in your brain. Because when you're looking at that project file, there's so much in your brain that it fills up. And as soon as you get rid of it, it's like, and it's like okay, now we got three samples again. Boom, and then you can. Ev- that's like yeah, that's it. Yeah. If you think that you're capping out,
3: I guess this is advice for uh, for producers who have tons of tons of tracks in their in their track. You know, tons tons of audio yeah. tracks in their, uh, or MIDI tracks in their session. Yeah. If you think if you think you're, um. You know, you did the best that you c- could with the song, and uh, you can't get any better. Like, it, or if you're trying to think outside the box, trying to, to innovate your sound. And you're like, this is the best that I could do. Render them down into just a few stems. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, ha- uh, and go from there. Just have fun with that. Because it's like, I mean, just save as. Save as a new version. It's still there. It's exactly. fine. Yeah. Just yeah. knowing yes, that it's fine there. You never go yeah. back to it anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or you rarely yeah. go back to it. Uh, but for yeah. me, that like I thought that I was done a song. Uh, I'll render it. I'll render stems for mastering. Then the next thing I know, I'm in the new master session with just a couple stems. That I thought it was going to be a master session. End up <laughs> maxing it out back to 60 tracks because I'm doing all this crazy new automation and audio editing. I'm just like, wow, I never knew that it would sound like this and be this dense with detail just
0: goodness. Um, yeah. And I, it's fun. Well, and it's, yeah, you're not waiting. Three or four minutes for a channel to pop up, or dealing with yeah. crashes, and like that's where for me, that's a hundred percent where I start to lose creativity. Like it becomes so much harder when you know, with loss and translation for us, it became a chore. Like I didn't want to go back to that project file because it treated me so poorly. Every time I opened it up, I was like, Oh, like I, we had what do we have that failed? Something failed. Like my uh, I actually reinstalled my entire computer from scratch and all my, my entire DAW just to finish that song. Remember that. The,
1: yeah, I do. I can't remember what it was that Well It's because Addictive but... Keys
0: broke. Addictive Keys broke, and I couldn't oh. open it unless I turned it off. And then I reinstalled Addictive Keys, and then it was crashing even worse. And then I just said, oh, I'm just reinstalling my entire computer. I bought a new motherboard, and then it finally worked okay, <laughs> and then we finished the song. But but when it gets that crazy, it's just like it's such a burden on your creative process that especially yeah. when you need to finish because we you know it's we had what 190 channels on it and we hadn't even written the last oh, it was drop. up over
1: 200 at we, one we point hadn't even sure. written the
0: last drop at this point <laughs> so we still had to come up with a whole nother section of the song and and yeah that's
3: i 100% feel you dude i know the weight and the dread of that i i have a i have a macbook uh 2014 macbook that's been killing it for a long time yeah. i recently yeah you know last year i built my new windows tower And that's all I've been using Uh, because Mm -hmm. this MacBook, I was doing uh, like collabs on it um, and like through through Zoom, like we're doing now. And Mm -hmm. it would we would just fill it up because collaborating some Mm -hmm. collaborators, it's like, you know, they're limitless. Let's just do all the things. And I'm sure you guys mm-hmm. know. It's yeah. like, yeah, let's max yeah. this out until the computer breaks. And then we couldn't work on it anymore. And then it's like, well, are we ever going to finish the song? And I'm just like, uh, m- my computer's yeah. like out of hard drive space because like f- all the freeze <laughs> files. And then if I delete that and unfreeze everything, it's like it's not working. And it's just CPU fan is just maxed out. CPU is maxed out. Yeah. And I'm just like, <laughs> I feel like I can't breathe right now like
1: I'm sympathizing with this machinery yeah and it's actually kind of funny that you would hits. experience the opposite where you can breathe when working with someone who does some of the most complicated things you've ever heard like Mr. Bill because you would think that going into a, a project with him would be overwhelming yet it's like it actually proved to be the complete opposite because of his ability to just say fuck it and, move and deal
0: with the complexity
3: yeah Well, he's been doing it for so long and he's, he also, uh, considers himself. I think it's the term is a reactive, more of a reactive producer where it's like less methodical as far as foresight goes and more so hands-on responding to the, the natural chaos that is arising from whatever these procedural things he's, he's doing is it's like, let's, let's throw this on it and see what happens. Yeah. Well, it sounds like in, and that's probably why I was getting so much anxiety from it initially. <laughs> is because it's like, I, I can already hear what that's going to sound like, and it's going to just ruin everything. Yeah. <laughs> but then he doesn't approach it like that. He's like, let's throw this on and see where it, see how it inspires me, see what the next. He's always just thinking about like, what is the next step instead of like, what is the big picture. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a lot more liberating. Yeah. To expose that way
0: definitely Well, I mean that literally exactly loops back into our first thing which is like how do you deal with that complexity and like not getting too lost in the weeds right so like sometimes you do want to get lost in the weeds but at the same time not at the loss of the song so I think that yeah it's really just the balance of that both approaches are 100% valid and mm. another way to think about it is like you think about it's like an explorer versus a guide a guides gonna take you up the same path up the mountain every time the explorers gonna be like oh look we'll at that there's a really cool thing and they go up there and they may fall off the mountain get really badly yeah. hurt <laughs> Um, but they figured something out new in the process. It may not right. be a good path. It may not be a path that everybody likes. But they will have basically you know. tread somewhere new, and be, that's because they're willing to just go off and do whatever. You know, they just look around like, I like that over there. Let's go. And then, oh fuck, we fell off a cliff. Like, <laughs> yeah, or have uh, they found treasure. I the parachute. Or they found treasure exactly. Yeah. Or they, you know, some some better place that you know people wouldn't have gone to. So I think I both approaches are 100 percent valid. Um, and I think being able to do both is super valuable, you know, and cause you really knew you gotta, you gotta mix a song. Like songs are mixed. You can't just do mm-hmm. it however you want there. You can't use, you know, a, a mono speaker. You gotta do stereo. More imaging. or
3: less, more or less though. I feel mm-hmm. like there is a little bit of, uh, um, if, uh, like, like we were talking about earlier. Like, why does that overdriven kick sound good? Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. the person didn't know what the hell they were doing with mixing but they made a dope song and it works. So yeah, Yeah, it's important to kind of not think that you gotta, I think it's important to accept that. It's like, we, we just don't know everything and we never will. So it's like, let's, let's have fun,
1: take some risks. But you're only going to learn more if you stop doing the same thing you've been doing over and over again. That's right. So it's like, as long as you keep yourself open to that. And I think if I have to relate um, something to, or this concept rather, Um, To music theory, that's one of the things that I I think about a lot because some people are like, I don't want to know music theory, it it limits me or whatever. And it's like, for methodical producers, you know, like us, um, we learned all these skills with how to synthesize things or whatever. And we we know all these things. And, And because we have those skills, we end up getting limited. Like you said, you're like, I know that's not going to work. Don't do that. You know, it's like, I I know this and you end up limiting yourself just like with music theory. You're like, oh, I'm not going to play these notes together because that's not right. You yeah. know? And it's like someone who doesn't know music theory, they're like, fuck it. Like, nah, 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 maybe this sounds good. Maybe it doesn't work. You know? And it's like, they'll write some chord progression that, you know, ends up being like really cool that someone who knows about chord progressions wouldn't have even attempted because they just didn't think it was going to work. Yeah, so dude. So it's like, you want to be able to be a methodical producer. I think like, I think it's really good to have both, because if you have the skill set to be a methodical producer and make that work for you by understanding synthesis and sound design, but then you're able to remove yourself from that and then use your methodical abilities to then be a reactive producer, mm-hmm. you're going to end up in a really good place, which is why I think it was such a good combination with you and Mr. Bill, because that album turned out awesome. So... You know, yeah, there's I, something to be said about that. Thanks, man.
3: Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think, I think, uh, no, um, yeah, if you're methodical, it's like just try to do the opposite of what what yeah. your inclination is.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Or get ideas from somebody that's just a little crazy and a little off the rocker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: Hang out with people try that you new. hang out with people that don't really do things the way you do. Yeah, and you might grow yeah. as a person, or you most definitely will grow as a person.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think one of the one of the re, um, reasons, one of the uh, ways that I try to actually do it for myself is like, if I find myself constantly doing the same things, or at least making the same sounds, I'll I'll literally just, okay, hey, I made this sound in Operator. Let's see if I can make this same sound in Serum. Let me see if I can make this same sound in FM8. Mm-hmm. And I'll try to make the same sound on different plugins and through that process I will learn you know not only how to use a new plugin but I'll also learn the limitations of those new plugins and I'll also learn you know if some of them are better than others or if if there's a different approach to something and that's kind of an easy way to not feel scared by diving into a new area because it's like again bringing familiarity with something different you get to try something you're familiar with, but in a different environment, and then it might inspire some new creativity.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that I think doing that versus let me create something completely new that I've never done before with something new that I've never yeah. used before. Um, if yeah. you are yeah trying to create something that you've already created so many times with another synth, you're almost it's it's like it's 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 more of like a being pulled through this new through this maze of this new thing than it is like brute forcing and pushing yourself through yeah. uh, it's almost like the, the light is there. Um, you just have to figure out where the light is, what's re- the light reflecting off of to get to the source. Uh, and that's something yeah. that I really en- um, enjoy doing when it comes to like, y- like using serum, uh, like using a- like stock Ableton devices only to create mm-hmm. effects that, of third-party vsts or to create yes. some kind of new yeah, thing like you using that. like simpler as a wavetable synth you can kind of yeah. do that and mm-hmm. there are ways to actually make it sound good and through doing mm. that and exploring it that way i come up with new sounds that i never would before that i never would have thought of uh before and it's fun and it's also something that you can It's fun to share with people. It's like, Hey, here's this new thing or with serum. It's like side chaining with serum effects. That's something that I still do a lot of the time. And yeah, I've never saw it done before. Clearly it doesn't seem to be, uh,
1: (laughs) it doesn't seem to be very intuitive (laughs) to do that, but I was like, no, you're using the distortion to do it. (laughs) So it's definitely like not what it's intended purpose is. I'll say that.
3: Right. Yeah. I'm just trying to, I mean, yeah, anyone can, can search it and see, see how it's done, but. It's that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff that I I like doing. It's like a very strong uh, drive to achieve this goal with something that seems impossible. If you sit with it long Mm. enough, you're probably going to blow your mind.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Blow your own mind. Yeah. It's like, it's kind of to relate back to Joel's analogy there. It's like, instead of just exploring blindly, it's like, okay, I want to explore this mountain. Maybe I'll take the guide trip first. And then I'll come back with, you know, a tent and a knife and a parachute and, <laughs> yeah. and I will do some directed exploration with, you know, knowing that I might be going in the right direction as opposed to blindly digging in the sand for treasure. Well, exactly.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there, there, I mean, there are people, you know, you can work on a sound or you can work on a style and it's honestly like it's a huge cliff. There's no there's nothing there for you. And that's unfortunately there are certain styles and techniques that like if you're making, you know, a specific style, it's really never going to sound that good with these other sounds. Um, Then there are, Mm -hmm. I would say there are areas that you can kind of definitively say combinations of certain things are generally to be, I mean, obviously. That's not a a hundred percent absolute. There could be something there, but there are areas that you can avoid and you can kind of, you know, focus your efforts, you know, in the in-between of genres. And those are kind of those, those areas where there's basically gold to mine. There's areas to explore that have, you know, a much higher likelihood of coming up with something interesting. That's also going to then resonate with a lot of people versus just going off and being like, I'm going to go run over here. Hopefully there's something in this direction.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Plus it's like, you feel like you're actually applying your energy to something useful rather than yeah. just like, okay, the whole day is wasted because I was just from an outsider. I was, I'm literally just fucking,
1: fucking around with no aimlessly. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No rhyme or reason just turning knobs.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that, you know, it, you go through, I yeah, definitely go through phases and I think it's not, that it's not terrible to do that, but when you're trying to write a song, it's, you know, it's it's very tough to do that and then actually be OK with it and actually, you know, be like, OK, I'm going to this is now my idea that I'm going to do. It's very difficult to do that when you start just from, you know, purely from scratch.
3: Yeah. With sound design, though, as long as you're recording, mm-hmm. I think yeah. that could be a really cool yeah,
1: thing. Then you're fine. Well, the thing with sound yeah, design is you're understand. already
0: locked into the limitation of your synth. And so you just start turning mm-hmm. knobs and a lot of them are very musical at, you know, right, right off the basis. If you grab one of my Max for live plugins. It will not sound good. <laughs> Some <laughs> right. of them are just like, they'll glitch, they'll break down. I mean, if you're Mike, you'll actually just resample your ASIO driver crashing and use it in a song. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes.
1: That I was done that.
0: actually pretty rad. <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh, was, yeah. Yeah. I like yeah, that. Yeah, I sent you that, so didn't meta. I? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Something Dude, stupid. you know, one of the most... Go ahead. The most meta thing I ever did I when I was working on communication, I was trying to show someone the song I was working on. And I took a video of the song with my phone, sent it to them on Facebook, and then I downloaded the video, ripped the audio out of it, and then put that audio into the song. And I actually <laughs> used it as a part. Whoa. legit. Oh, so that is the most meta I've ever gone That's inside a cool. song and released it. I dig yeah, that. It was, yeah, it was cool. Like, Did it added sound a good? Lo-fi layer. Yeah, man it, it added a little lo-fi layer of like weirdness over top i like i like filtered it out mixed it into the song and then had it like pan through on the background so it like it sounds like you can hear the song like delayed through a lo-fi delay like going around in, in the background Called the zuckerberg distortion <laughs> 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 yeah <or>
0: compression <laughs> the zuck yeah, compression trippy. yeah the zuck <laughs> the anyways Zuck's i i think zuck. i gotta run pretty good it's like four thirty almost or four twenty 25. Uh, so all right like, um
1: but yeah just like last time, man, we'll definitely get you back on here because there's way more to talk about and, and it's always super fun having you. Know? Hell this yeah. Is... Now this
3: has been a blast. I mean, we, we're
1: going on like about two hours. Yeah, so that was like an hour 50 yeah. four and 54 minutes. And it's easy. So, yeah. that, that's the funny part, right? It's like it's too easy to keep talking because this stuff's super interesting. Yeah. yeah, this is good. Thank you, guys. This cool. is awesome. so sick. Thank
0: you. Thank you for coming by All again. Right. And uh, yeah, thank you for everybody that listened. I um, hope you enjoyed another episode.
1: We'll see you next week. Cheers.
0: Peace. Bye.